0: Hey, what's up, New Hope Church, wherever you are, I'm talking about those of you at watch parties at the campuses, those of you who are in your homes or riding down the road, hopefully you're not driving, those of you who might be at the lake or the mountains or the beach or wherever you are, welcome to New Hope Church. We are so thrilled that you are here. And I don't know if you like that song as much as I do, but I am so grateful that my identity Is not wrapped up in what I say or what I do or what other people say about me or even how I feel, but my identity, come on now, your identity is all about who God says that you are. Pray with me if you will. Father God, we thank you that our identity is in you and you alone. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. And because of what he has done, we are adopted sons and daughters of the most high God. And we praise you for that. Father, thank you for this day of worship and word. Be glorified, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, before we get into the word today, I want to share with you some really good news. Through our Hopetown Children's Ministry, as a movement, we have reached 83 brand new families recently. Who says God is not moving in the midst of this COVID season? And I just praise God for all of our Hopetown Children's staff, for all of our families and all of the children in this church. Hey, today we get to kick off a brand new series. It's called Reality Binge, and we're going to be looking at Gideon. We're going to be looking at Jacob and Esau, and we're going to be looking at Joseph for the next three weeks. These unbelievable Old Testament characters. We're going to be digging into the Word, and God is going to minister to us. Hey, in July, I usually take a three-week study break. This past July, I did not get that. We have been reeling and working really hard in the midst of this season but you are in good hands pastor Mike Bro who is our teaching pastor along with Tiana Spencer Mike has prepared a series titled Reality Binge you don't want to miss a single Sunday over the course of the next 3 weeks you've heard me say before and if you're new around here you just need to know this Mike Bro is one of the premier best communicators on the planet and we get to hear from him on a regular I don't know about you, but I am so excited to sit under his teaching and grow in this series. So grab your Bibles, grab your phone, your tablet, something to write with, whatever the case may be. Let's lean in and let's have Pastor Mike bring a word to us today in Jesus name. Here we go, church.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for uh, joining us today, wherever you might be. My name is Mike Bro, and it's been so great to stay connected in this way. Uh, super grateful for the team that has just been working overtime uh, to make all this happen and help us stay connected. And I'm guessing that over the past uh, few months, especially during the initial you know, safer at home orders, uh, some of you might have binged a few shows on Netflix or Amazon or Hulu or some other kind of on demand. I got a buddy who reached all the way back to the old 24 series. Remember that with Jack Bauer? He binged all seven or eight seasons. Uh, My daughter's family, she binged on Seasons of Survivor. And that show through the years had a cast of characters with a capital C. And it was one of the first and most enduring shows in this realm known as Reality TV. And remember how it all started? It started with Real World on MTV, and then there were reality shows like uh, American Idol, which gave birth to like The Voice. Uh, there was uh, Big Brother. Uh, there was The Bachelor wondering if they would accept this rose. Uh, you had crazy drama on the Jersey Shore. And with those Real Housewives of Orange County and the Real Housewives of Atlanta, we, we've seen hoarders and swamp people and duck commanders and deadliest catchers and pond stars and Top Chefs and Cake Bosses, uh, we've tried our hand at do-it-yourself projects because of shows like Flip or Flop or Yard Crashers or Fixer Upper. And many of these reality shows make you at least at one point kind of shake your head and go, man, that, that's unreal. I mean, seriously? I mean, you follow all the drama that goes on. You think that they would do that for 15 seconds of fame? Yes, they would. And then what they did goes viral and all the tabloids at the checkout line, the grocery store, put them on their cover, making celebrities out of these previously unknowns. Now, on some levels, the Bible can read like a supermarket tabloid. I mean, you read some of the stories and it'll leave you shaking your head in amazement going, that really happened? He did what? She did what? God did what? You gotta be kidding, man. That's, that's unreal. And I think they might inspire you and encourage you, challenge you, perhaps even make you think about like where your story fits into God's story. But today I want to kick it off with Ninja Warrior. You guys ever watch American Ninja Warrior? You know what I'm talking about? You got these, uh, highly conditioned athletes, men and women of all ages, and these mighty ninja warriors try to conquer this unbelievably tough obstacle course. I mean, few people complete it because the odds are stacked completely against even the most athletic. Almost, almost everybody wipes out somewhere along the way. But you know what? That's, that's what makes For great TV, that's what makes for great drama. That's what makes for a great story. There's just something about the underdog, that person, that team that struggles against all the odds. That's what makes a story compelling. And I don't know, but maybe maybe you feel like the odds are stacked against you right now. You might think things look bleak. You, You might think things were never gonna get better, that nothing, nothing good could ever come out of the situation I'm currently in. Maybe you feel like the odds are completely stacked against you. Well, I'm here to tell you, God specializes in impossible odds and he wants to make your life into a compelling story. And yes, I'm talking to you, mighty ninja warrior. I want to show you the story of an underdog, one of those against all odds kinds of stories. It's a story of a Simple, ordinary guy named Gideon. Now, this story kind of seems like a mini-series, and since we've only got like a few minutes this weekend, we're just gonna binge-watch the whole thing together. Is that okay with you guys? Just warp speed, no commercial breaks. Here we go. By, By the way, you can find the script to all these episodes in the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter six and seven. So let's just get started. Season one, episode one, the pilot. It opens with a recurring theme that goes all the way through the book of Judges. It says this, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord added them over to the Midianites for seven years. I mean, over and over it says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And as they rebelled against God, things would get terrible. They would repent and cry out to God and God would rescue them. Then it wouldn't be too long that once again, they would act like he did not exist at all. They even had like multiple affairs with other little G gods. So even though as a father, it would break God's heart, still does. He would say, well, if that's what you choose, And he would let them go into their self-destructive tailspin and allow them by their own free will to make horrible choices, which in turn brought horrible consequences into their lives and into their nation. Now I've talked before about how God's word tells us that there are these things that I call uh, boomerang principles. There are some things that God says, just, you know, come back around principles like give and it will be given to you. Refresh others and you will be refreshed. Walk with the wise and you will become wise. Sow to the wind and you will reap the whirlwind. You see a loving God created you and me with the gift of free will because love without a choice really wouldn't be love, right? And how you and I exercise that free will really matters. It brings consequences, good or bad. And the sooner we own those bad choices, and take responsibility for our personal behavior that landed us in the mess, the sooner we humble ourselves and start honoring God with our lives, the sooner things start changing. So as a result of their own rebellion, their own bad choices for seven long years, the nation of Israel was under domination by the Midianites. Their invasion was so massive and so overpowering that God's people had literally gone underground. They were living in caves and canyons and mountain strongholds just to survive. The Midianites destroyed their crops, they took all their livestock, brought them to the absolute brink of starvation, and they finally got so miserable, so desperate that it says, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. After seven years, the thought finally crossed their mind. Oh yeah, what about God? Now listen, God should never be reduced to just a last resort to like a 911 dispatcher or one of those, in case of emergency, break glass, superhero that swoops in when you and I send up, you know, like the bat signal. No, God longs to be an intimate friend, a father, a daddy, someone with whom we do life with every day. However, when we do reach that point of desperation, When we do finally cry out and turn toward God, even though we might not have thought about him in more than seven years, he's been thinking about us every second of every day and he hears and he responds. He loves us so much that he even sees beyond our rebellion, beyond our disobedience, beyond the distance and disregard. He doesn't even bring up all the horrible things we might've said or thought about Him. He doesn't say, are you kidding me, you? You, after all you've done, fat chance of me ever helping you know when we genuinely and humbly cry out, he hears and responds. You may not immediately see what he's doing, but he starts to go to work in the dark. Well, through the prophet, God reminds the people of his powerfully impressive and faithful track record. He tells them, listen, remember I brought you out of slavery in Egypt. Remember the, the whole Red Sea parting? Remember the manna from heaven, the pillar of fire, the water from a rock? Remember crossing the Jordan on dry ground? Remember all the incredible conquest under Joshua where I drove out your enemies and gave you the land that I promised to you? Remember all that? And do you remember that I told you not to worship all these little G-gods of your enemies? That they would lead you down some dark roads. But you didn't listen. You ignored me. And honestly, that's why you're in the mess you're in. Nevertheless, I still love you, and I hear your cries, and I'm about to move. That's how episode one ends, okay? Episode two, The Visitor. Look what it says in Judges six. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. That girl is everywhere, just, just kidding. That belonged to Joash, the, the, whoever he is, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. Check this out, mighty warrior. Well, Gideon starts looking around. He says to the visitor, excuse me, mighty warrior, <laughs> you talking to me? Man, you got the wrong guy. Can't you see? I'm just a simple farmer, I'm a grain thresher, mighty warrior. I believe you must have me confused with somebody else. And you know what? We all hear other voices telling us about who we are. Voices from the past, voices that we live around, work with, go to school with, telling us that we're worthless, stupid, ugly, inadequate, flawed. And you know what? We believe them. And then when God shows up and tells us who we really are, we say, you talking to me? Oh, no, you must have the wrong guy. You get the wrong girl. You, you must have me confused with somebody else because I'm unlovable. I'm unstable, I'm an addict, I'm too fat, I'm too slow, I'm, excuse me, did you, did you say loved? Did you say gifted? Did, did you call me priceless? Did you say that I'm worthy? Excuse me, did, did you call me mighty warrior? Sorry, you got the wrong guy, you got the wrong girl, try two doors down. But gang, that's the way God sees you, as a hero, as a mighty warrior. And yeah, I'm talking to you, He sees great potential in you. He doesn't want you to walk through your life wearing labels that others have attached to you. He wants you to move through your days with a humble confidence in who he says that you are. Well, check this out. Gideon comes back with a classic question. He says, sir, (coughs) if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? I mean, didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. See, he's not thinking about how Israel had abandoned God, only feeling like God had abandoned them. And we get like that too, don't we? It's much easier to assign blame and point fingers and get mad at God for the mess that we have created. Well, God kind of sweeps aside The question, he doesn't go into a long defense or debate. He doesn't say, let me tell you something about responsibility, young man. No, God just simply says, well, I'm right here right now. And the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Step up, mighty warrior. I have heard the cries and I'm about to move and I'm gonna move through you. And you know what? You, talking to you, you just might be the one God's calling to step up and end the cycle of dysfunction in your family. Maybe you, yes, you will be the one who heroically ends the years of alcoholism, the years of abuse, the ugliest of racism, ends all the angry grudges and feuds. You may be the one that God uses to change your workplace, to change your school. You might be the one to deliver compassion to the thousands in this city that need help and hope. God may be saying to you like he does to Gideon, hey, listen, mighty ninja warrior. Yeah, I'm talking to you, superhero. The Lord is with you. Come on, step up. Well, Gideon starts to offer excuses. And man cannot relate. Verse 15, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? Like my clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. He says, listen, God, I'm, I'm the weakest of the weak. I can't even bench press 75 pounds. There's so many more stronger, smarter, faster, better, more skilled, more qualified than me. Why me? Are you serious? And God responds the same way he did with our boy Moses. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. So Gideon says, "Uh, okay, but I'm gonna need a sign. You ever do that? He goes, I'll be right back. And he rushes away and he prepares this offering to the Lord. He gives it to this angel under the tree and the angel touches it and fire flames, uh, fires up and consumes it all. And then the angel disappears. And Gideon is left stunned. He's freaking out. He says, I'm doomed. I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. I'm gonna die. And that's how episode two ends. Episode three. Demo day, all these home improvement shows get all excited about demo day. And there is something really therapeutic about swinging a sledgehammer and tearing stuff up. Well, episode three begins by God coming to Gideon at night saying, Gideon, it's demo day. He tells him before I can really work through you, these other so-called gods, they gotta go. First, I want you to tear down your father's altar to that false god Baal. And then that other phony, that uh, Asherah pole that stands beside it, got to get rid of all that stuff because the worship of these other little G gods have gotten your people in this mess. And, and if the great I am is going to move in, all these want wanna be gods got to move out. I want you to build an altar to me and sacrifice a bull on it. And that phony Asherah pole that you cut down, you can use it for the firewood. Do you guys ever, ever watch the last dance with Michael Jordan? probably the greatest basketball player ever, and arguably the biggest trash talker who has ever played the game. Now, I've played basketball most of my life, been a lot of games where a lot of trash talk went on. So I kind of love this scripture found in Isaiah where God himself is kind of trash talking about little G gods. Now it's a little bit longer scripture, but follow on the screen, just track with me, Isaiah 44. God says this, I am the first and the last, There is no other God who is like me. Let him step forward and prove to you his power. I mean, who but a fool would make his own God, an idol? that can't help him one bit. The woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with a chisel and a plane and, and carves it into a human figure. He gives a human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars and and selects the cypress and the oak, and he plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. And then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. And then, yes, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ah, that fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and makes his God, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying to it, rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed, they cannot see. Their minds are shut, they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. Why? It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be a God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. Catch this. He trusts something that cannot help him at all. Yet he can't bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? God says he trusts something that can't help him at all. Sound familiar? Now, of course, we're all certainly intelligent enough not to worship a carved statue, right? But sometimes we bow at the altar of looks and image, don't we? We worship at the shrine of materialism, success and status. We give our energy and devotion to shallow, self-seeking relationships and self-gratification, never stopping to think, isn't this idol just a piece of paper? Isn't this God just a piece of reflective glass? Isn't this God just a piece of metal and rubber? Isn't this deity just just a piece of wood and stucco and shingles? Am I bowing before something? It's just a lie. Because the truth is, this God can't rescue me. This God can't save me, love me, create me, or recreate me. This God can't sweep away my failures. This God can't give me a bigger purpose. It can't give me eternal life. Oh, it promised me me all that and more, but it's just a huge lie. You see, if you and I chase all the stuff of this life, making them into little G gods, we miss out on knowing and experiencing the true and living God of unfailing love and mercy, the God who created you and me wants to walk with us every day and satisfy our soul in its deepest place. It's pretty cool. I was working on this part of the passage when my phone rang and had a buddy calling me who was 11 days sober when he called me. So much stuff in his life. And he, he wouldn't mind me telling you this at all. He's such a great, humble guy with a huge and generous heart. But he has been deep in uh, alcohol and drugs and material stuff and porn and jail time. I mean, you name it. But he knows that God's been pursuing him his entire life. He knows that God loves him and really wants, he really wants to walk with God. He really wants to walk free. So he starts telling me about some stuff he had just gotten rid of. Said he boxed it all up. And threw it into a dumpster just wanted me to know. And I told him, I said, listen, dude, I'm, I'm reading this story about Gideon. This is so cool. You see how you are finally tearing down all those false gods? How you're cleaning house, you're saying it's demo day. And you're giving the true and living God a chance to move into your life. And he is moving. Like my friend is learning, like Gideon learned, like I am learning. If we pursue any other image than the image of God, then we end up empty and frustrated, and we rob God of an opportunity to set us free. We have this merciful, loving God who wants to rescue us, and He actually can. So Gideon takes a deep breath and he says, okay, it's demo day. And because he was afraid of his family and all the people in the town, he goes and he does it in the middle of the night. And when the people wake up the next morning, discover that somebody had torn down the altar to Baal and built a new altar, and their other so-called God is nothing but glowing embers now, they go off. Look at verse 29. The people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. So they show up at Joash's house and say, bring out your boy, bring out your boy, he's gonna die for destroying the altar of Baal, for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash, Gideon's dad, who is obviously deeply moved by the courage and conviction of his son, he stands up and he says this, if Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself. If he is so powerful, let him deal with the one who tore down his altar. And then it says from then on, Gideon was called Jere Baal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Okay, episode four, got another one in you? Here we go, short episode, we're calling it Fleeced. Well, God's spirit begins to move and Gideon makes him respected as a leader among all the people. He becomes like a general among the troops, but there's still some doubt in his own mind. And Gideon says this to God in verse 36, if you truly are gonna use me to rescue Israel as you promised, once again, God, I'm gonna need a sign. Prove it to me in this way. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm gonna take a wool fleece and I'm gonna put it on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you're really gonna help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that's what happens. He puts out the fleece. Next morning, the ground around it is dry and the fleece is sopping wet. So Gideon says, Okay, two out of three. You ever do that? He's saying, I bet you can't do that again. This time, reverse it, God. Ground wet, fleece dry. And it happens exactly that way. Now, I'm not much on looking for signs. Although I have to admit, I have thrown out a fleece or two in my life. I think you ought to pray for and seek wisdom and discernment. I think you ought to bounce stuff off of trusted friends. But you know what, gang? Eventually, you just have to step out in faith. We talked about this a few weeks ago as faith is walking to the edge of all the knowledge you have and taking one more step. Trust trust means moving into the unknown. The undefined is stepping through an open door into the reliability of a loving God that you know is moving on the other side. And the times in my life where I sensed that God was calling me to leave what was nailed down and predictable and comfortable and step out into the unknown, those were the times where I felt fully Alive Episode 5 Braveheart this episode opens by Gideon getting his ragtag remnant of an army together. We're talking skinny, hungry, cave-dwelling guys with inferior strength, inferior training, inferior weapons, not a chance of defeating the mighty Midianites. Kinda makes me think of that scene. Remember the movie Braveheart We're on one side, you got this sophisticated military power with skilled archers and they got catapults and thousands of horses and they're all wearing matching uniforms. And then he got these farmers, these Scottish farmers with pitchforks and axes and shovels and their faces are all painted blue and they're wearing wool plaid skirts. I bet Gideon looked around and he had one of those, wow, this is my dream team moments. We're gonna get smashed. But God takes a look at Gideon's mighty fighting man. He says, Gideon, you know what? You have too many warriors with you. Gideon says, excuse me, too many? Are you kidding me, God? Look at them. Lord, we're going to get creamed the way it is. Too many? And God comes back with, no, I'm not kidding. Here's the deal. Even though the odds are stacked against you, your guys are going to win. They're going to win. And when they win... You know what they'll do? They'll start boasting about how they pulled the greatest upset of the century. They're going to be signing autographs. They're going to go on on talk shows and ESPN and trying to get endorsement deals. They'll be telling their grandkids, oh, you should have seen us. We were awesome. No one thought we could do it. But through our own strength and skill and craftiness, we sent those armies running. So Gideon, I want to remove that temptation. I want to show all of Israel that they cannot do this on their own. That they need me. So I want you to give your guys permission to leave if they want. Tell the 33,000 that you have with you, listen, if you're not up for this, it's okay. You can leave. You won't be embarrassed, you can leave right now. So Gideon gives them permission to leave if they want to. And guess what? 22,000 of them go home. Now the odds are really stacked against them. Only about 11,000 to go up against the hundreds of thousands of the great military power of the region. And Gideon's thinking, what are you doing to me, God? And God says, yeah, that's still too many. Okay, mighty warrior, here's here's what we're gonna do. I want you to bring your guys down to the water and tell them to get a drink. And watch how they do it. Then divide them up into the men who fall on their face and they drink water like a thirsty dog and the ones who kneel down and cup water with their hands so that they can drink and keep watch at the same time. Those are the men you take with you into battle. Well, Gideon does that, and guess what? Over 10,000 of them get down in lap water like a thirsty dog. And now the number is reduced to 300. Verse seven, Judges chapter seven. The Lord told Gideon, now we're getting there. With these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but he kept the 300 men with them. And now the exciting final episode. The Midian camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And God tells him, I have given you victory over them, but if you need some reassurance, I want you to sneak down there and listen to what some of them are talking about. So Gideon grabs another guy And they sneak down to the edge of the valley. There are so many people, soldiers from other evil alliances, such as the Amalekites, and now join this vast army. Scripture says they look like a swarm of locusts, too many to count. And remember, Gideon's got 300 ill-equipped men. He's gotta be getting sick to his stomach, thinking, oh man, this is so much worse than I ever dreamed. But check this out, verse 13. Gideon crept up. Just as a man was telling his companion about a dream, and the man said, I had this dream, and in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. It hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. His companion answered, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all of his allies. Verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream, and its interpretation. He bowed and worshiped before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up, get up, the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes, it's on. Well, he divides his 300 mighty men into three groups. He gives each man a ram's horn, a clay jar with a torch in it. He tells them, we're gonna surround the camp. Keep your eyes on me and listen, just do what I do. When we get to the edge of the camp, we're gonna create some chaos. And as soon as the guys with me blow our ram's horns, you guys blow your horns too and shout, for the Lord and Gideon. And let's just read the rest from the script in Judges chapter seven. Man, I wish I could read this like Morgan Freeman but I can't. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held blazing torches in their left hands and their horns in their right hands and they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled to places far away. Against all odds, 300 men armed with horns and pots and torches, take out the greatest army on the planet, only God. Amazing God. But you know that really wasn't the finale. There's one more episode. It's where you join the cast of characters. Your story. I mean, what is reality for you right now? How are the odds stacked against you, mighty warrior? Maybe relationally it's a big time challenge for you right now and you're wondering how your marriage is gonna make it. Perhaps you have mounting financial pressure. You lost your job. Or maybe you got a prodigal kid that you just, you just don't know how to help them. Or maybe it's an addiction that makes you feel like you're living in this spin cycle of a washing machine or maybe you're battling with some big time health issues. I don't know what it is you're facing. But I've been praying that Gideon's story would flood your soul with hope. Because if your strength seems really small to you right now, and the odds seem stacked against you, I'm telling you from personal experience. We have a God of horns, pots, and torches. He is the God who makes walls fall down. He makes armies run. He makes red seas part and the sun to stand still. He turns water into wine. He walks on the sea. He makes blinded eyes see and dead men walk. And that same God is for you. And if you will lean into God's power, he will carry you through. Now your circumstances may not radically change, but against all odds, you will. And that's the greater miracle. And maybe he's just been waiting for you to cry out. It acknowledge that you are the weakest of your clan in need of supernatural help. Perhaps he's been waiting for you to say it's demo day and start tearing down all the false gods that you'd have been dependent upon. The ones you've been given your devotion, your, your energy, your money, your passion, your adoration to and begin to worship and honor the one true and living God. Maybe he's calling you to step up and take a risk and walk by faith and you do that and he will not only help you start walking freer than you've ever walked in your life, he will use you to accomplish amazing things, write you into a better story, one that will make people stand back and say, that's unreal. Only God could pull that off. Let's pray together. Father, I think right now of the things that are going on in our world and our country and how we need some people that will just stand up and be mighty warriors for you people that will humble themselves and just love, love like never before. And God, it seems like the odds are stacked against us and that things might never, ever change, but God, we know that's, that's not impossible with you. Pray that you would move through us, move through our, our lives, that people would see in us that we have been changed by the God of unfailing love. God, I thank you that when the odds are stacked against you, that's when you do some of your best work. So Father, we ask you to use us, help us to step up with courage and respond to all the chaos that's going on in our world with, with, with love and to serve people and let people see that there is a God that can rescue, a God that can change. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.